Judges chapter 4. When Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt in Harosheth Hagoim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess of the wife and the wife of Lipidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor? Take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, and with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command and Deborah went up with him. Now Haber the Kenite of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, which is between, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots. 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Harasheth Hagoim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Haber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin king of Hazor 
and the house of Haber the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with blanket. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Haber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. When he went to her into her tent, there lay Sisera, dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. There is the holy and errant word of God, and may he bring to us blessing. You know, this was a very hard text, not only to read, but to bring a a semblance of a message out. It it is one of the different uh, aspects of God's dealing with Israel in all of their disobedient ways, in their backsliding. And uh, here it's tied as well to chapter 5, where we will hear the songs of praises to God for the manner in which he delivered Israel. I think if I was to compare these two chapters, I would look back to Exodus and see where Moses and the children of Israel were being pursued by the chariots of Egypt and were next to the Red Sea and wondering what in the world they're going to do. And God commands Moses to go forward and to part the waters of the Red Sea so that Israel can get to the other side. And he destroys the Egyptian army as they try to pursue through those divided waters. And after that occurs, you read Exodus 15, there is the song of Miriam and the deliverance, uh, the song of praise of the deliverance that God accomplished. And in many ways, Judges 4 and 5 come together to almost repeat that scene in a slightly different manner and, of course, with different people. God, again, reminding Israel and today reminding the church that when the enemies of Christ rise up against them, he is the one who is able to bring about victory. And and these chapters again show us, the chapters of Judges continually show us 
how our Lord is active in the lives of his people. When you read Psalm 121 and it speaks about how God does not slumber nor sleep and is ensuring that the heat of the sun does not uh, uh, damage us, if you will, and that the fear of the moon doesn't uh, frighten us. We see God here very active in the lives of his people for those purposes of preserving and keeping them in his grace and mercy. You read here how God raises up tyrants to discipline his people. God raises up affliction to come and and chastise those who aren't striving against sin, but rather enjoying its pleasures and giving themselves over to it. And in verse 2, we read how God sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan. What a word to use. God treated Israel as slaves to sin. You want to give yourself over to the ways of the nations around you. Well, here's what it's going to be like, especially and particularly if you are my holy people that I have redeemed. And this is what the Lord did when his people constantly gave themselves over to the evil of idolatry, exchanging the truth of God for that lie of Satan that they could be their own gods. But in doing so, we also see God raised up judges to deliver his people when they cried out to them. And that pattern is here again in verse 3. The children of Israel cried out for 20 years. They had been harshly oppressed. You know what I find interesting? Is it took them now 20 years to cry out. It's taking them longer in feeling the weight of the oppression of sin in their lives. It's taking them longer To cry out to God for help and deliverance. Friends, I don't think we comprehend when we stop striving against sin. How bondage sets in. And and I'll repeat this often. How we become more and more like that prodigal son. That it takes a very desperate situation for us to be turned away from sin And turn to God to cry out. But when his people cry out. God sells Sisera. (laughs) The general of Jabin's army. Into the hands of a woman. To deliver his people. God does exercise his judgment. Against those who would commit evil against his people. And and Judges proclaims that truth to us time and again. God is not distant from the sufferings of his people. Even when those sufferings are a result of our own sin and sinfulness, God is not indifferent to us. He still has an eye and a hold of his hand upon his people. 
And when we see again this pattern unfolding where the children of Israel again do evil in the sight of the Lord and he hands them over to their sins for them to experience that bondage again. That's why I think that word sold is used here. That Israel, you, you want to be enslaved to sin. I'll treat you as slaves and sell you over to it. When we see this, I do believe again that there are two aspects of the gospel that judges continually teaches us even today. And that is, first of all, that sin creates a bondage that we, not one of us, have the strength to break. God's people cannot save themselves from sin. And, and no amount of moral reformation in our life, no amount of morality welling up within us and, and us being determined in our will to say, okay, I think I will stop doing this because it's not healthy or good for me and it's ruining my relationship, so I'm going to make a change in my life. And no amount of moral change like that breaks the bondage of sin. We might find things improve in our life but the bondage of sin is still there it is only in Christ that that bondage to sin can be broken and it is only secondly in Christ that forgiveness and restoration happen before God that's the second aspect of the gospel and one of the wonderful things to see here is that every time God's people cry out to him because of their sins. Every time they come to him, even though their repentance is suspect, of course. But you see, God is ever willing to save those who call upon his name. That is a glorious truth for us to lay hold of. So that we, unlike the prodigal son, Waiting and in, and in, 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 in the frustration of his life, envying the food that he's feeding to his pigs, we so that we don't get to that point of thinking, well, God can't forgive me, or God's not willing to forgive me, or my sins are so great, there's no reason for God to forgive me. No, when we call upon His name, God is willing, willing to forgive. Willing to cleanse, willing, as in that story of the prodigal, to go out and meet his child and treat him as his child. Remember that, dear saying. You find yourself struggling in your life and relationship with God. Call upon his name, and he will hear you. We hear again of King Jabin, and another thing about. What's happening here in Judges 4 is that there's a repetition happening about the time of Joshua. You go back to Joshua 11, and there was a former king, Jabin of Canaan. Uh, this particular king uh, with Judges and Deborah and Barak is, is a descendant or a successor of that other king, Jabin. As you remember in Joshua 11, King Jabin 
organized a coalition of kings to fight against Joshua. He rallied six other armies and kingdoms to come with him to meet Joshua. That you read in Joshua 11, they were soundly defeated by the Lord. And here in, in Israel's sinful state, in their backsliding, what we see is but one king able to conquer and subdue Israel. And again, it points us to another truth. That the problems and the, the struggles that we may have with, with a hostility against the church or the enemy uh, under the power of Satan always come against us that they aren't our real problem. <laughs> the problem that we face as a church is far less about the hatred of Satan and, and the people of the world who would rise up in that hatred against the church and against God's people. The problems that we have that are more of a greater struggle are the problems with sin, and the problems of backsliding, and the problems of turning away from God, and the problems of looking at the world and following the idols of the world. The problems that we have are more about being vigilant and sober-minded as believers and understanding that there's a prowling devil that is seeking to devour us. The problem is being prayerful and watchful with temptation. Remember those words of Jesus in Matthew 26, 41. It seems like it's so innocuous in one way where the three apostles that Jesus says, come and pray with me for one hour. And he comes back and he finds them sleeping. And he says, what? Could you not watch and pray with me for one hour? And then he says these words. He says, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And you think, what temptation? What, what temptation was it that, that the apostles were facing in that hour? Well, they were falling under the, the evil of the day. They were keenly aware that betrayal was before, uh, before them all concerning their Lord. They were keenly aware of the growing hostility that was coming against the Lord Jesus. They were aware of much, but watchfulness, vigilance, sober-mindedness eluded them in that hour. They were aware of Jesus' proclamation that they would all be scattered and none of them would be faithful to the end, standing with their Savior. <laughs> and they didn't pray and they didn't watch. 
And I think that's telling again when we look at this particular chapter and you read that very first line when it says, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Doesn't mean after Ehud died that they drifted into idolatry. It means when that one who was restraining them to some measurable degree died, it was free game into idolatry. That even before Ehud had died, the drifting was happening. And again, that's always the issue within our lives. The need of vigilant soberness, prayerful watchfulness, because there is an enemy seeking to devour and temptations are very real before all of us. And we need the strength, the help of our God to persevere and endure faithfully. And even more as we look at this text, we we see uh, the three people that are involved in and how each one of them were used by God uh, together to bring about the deliverance of Israel from their current enemy. We have, first of all, Deborah, the judge. In the first uh, few verses of this chapter, bring us now uh, to a woman who is the judge of Israel. Verse 4, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at this time. Now, I'm just going to say this very briefly, that Deborah is not an example of women being able to have authority within the church, in those positions of authority. I think it's sad with the incursion of secular feminism into the church. Many have often looked at her as a reason to contradict the word of God in the placement of women in leadership within the church. Because she is here at a time when there was very little leadership within Israel and Israel was was actually under the disciplining hand of God. Deborah is afforded much dignity and is given a place of service. But if you go to chapter 5 and verse 9, you read that she was one who did not usurp the man's role of ruling in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offer themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. So it wasn't that that she is an example of women being able to occupy those particular offices within the church. But she was a prophetess. She was one who was blessed by God to, to be his instrument of revelation to Israel at a time when Israel was not really listening to God. <laughs> She is the one who calls Barak to the duty that the Lord has chosen him for. She is the one who reveals to him what the Lord will do. 
In verse 6, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, go and deploy the troops at Mount Tabor and take 10,000 men and I will uh, deploy Sisera against you by the river Kishon. I will deliver him into your hands. It's a, it's a different way of calling forth someone to come and bring that deliverance. Barak is chosen of God to lead the armies of Israel to bring Israel from out of the bondage that they are under. And she urges him, even when you come to verse 14, it, it, it sounds almost the same as, as Moses and Israel beside the Red Sea, faced with the dilemma of the Egyptian army coming against them and nowhere to go. And God looks at, at Moses and Israel and says, why are you standing here? Get into the water. Divide it. Cross over. I am with you. And in similar fashion, we see, we see the Lord through Deborah speaking to Barak in verse 14. Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? Now this all seems strange to us if we don't read it in conjunction with chapter 5. But she has to urge Barak on into battle. She has to remind him of the power and the presence and authority of God that will gain the victory that tells us that Barak was a very hesitant man. And we're going to hear just in a few minutes what those circumstances were. That it was that God had chosen Barak to, to lead, but he needed this particular prophetess to encourage and exhort him in the word of God to go forward. And Deborah was also a judge. And part of the role of the judge was to restrain Israel from evil. That's one of the things you see constantly in this book. It's that when the judges are raised up, they exercise an authority over the land where the people have a restraining hand that keeps them from the more, more obvious Sins of idolatry. And Deborah was doing this. She was exercising in uh, civil judgment. Verse 5, she was raised up by the Lord to exercise spiritual judgment. And you see that in verse 6, when Barak uh, is hesitant to go without her. And she says, fine, you will lose the glory of the battle. And in all of this, I think it's important to see that Deborah does not reach out and assume glory for herself. Even when it comes to receiving the glory of the battle and the killing of the general of Jabin's army, Sisera, that glory of victory is given to another woman. What's all of this mean for the deliverance of Israel? Well, it's this. Is that God is showing to Israel that he can use a weaker vessel to conquer their enemies. And again, as it's already been stated, 
The issue here wasn't about how great and mighty, how powerful and how much more uh, intense the, the armies of Jabin were over and against Israel. They were not under the oppression of this enemy because that enemy was greater than them. They were under the oppression of this enemy because they had fallen away from their God. And God is saying to Israel, look, I can, and, and ladies, don't be insulted by this, but God was saying, look, I can use the weaker vessel to subdue this enemy. Do you, do you get it? The issue is not Jabin and Sisera. The issue is your sin and defiance of my glory. Oh, that Christians would see that today. You know, the church looks very weak in our nation. The church looks very small in our city. And we sit back and as a church we wonder why. It's because the church is behaving like the world around us. And the hand of the Lord is upon us to discipline. Deborah the prophetess brings forth Barak or Barak the commander. We all know the saying, do we not? Behind every successful man is a woman. <laughs> Most of us husbands Learn that lesson well when we get married. But there is a paradox and an irony here behind the strong woman, Deborah, was a hesitant man. This is something that is ironic because when you get to Hebrews 11, and Hebrews 11 is all about the faith that we are called to have and to exercise in our God. Faith which is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Faith which is needed, where we believe that God is and that He is the rewarder of those who believe and trust in Him. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, where we lay hold of the promises of salvation in the one who suffered and died in our place and who rose victorious. Faith, which as John says in 1 John uh, chapter five, uh, 5, faith is the victory by which we overcome in the world. Faith in Christ. Barak is named in that hall of faith. Hebrews 11.32. And yet we read of him here, and he, he does win a victory against the armies of Jabin, but he is a very hesitant man. <laughs> He's hesitant to obeying God. His faith does not look uh, strong. In fact, it looks smaller than the mustard seed. Remember what Jesus said about our faith in him. If we believed in Jesus and our faith in the Lord Jesus was as small as a mustard seed, you still could move mountains. You still could work and serve the Lord in victory. 
And yet Barak, he hears God's commands and promises. The command to go out with the army of Israel and defeat the army of Jabin. And the promises, I have delivered Sisera into your hand. And he comes and what does he do in verse 8? I will only go if Deborah goes with me. If she does not go with me, I will not go. He, he places a condition on his obedience to God. And one of the things that we begin to see in the book of Judges now is that decline in the leadership of the judges of Israel from Othniel to Ehud to Barak, and it gets even worse with Gideon. Weak faith, not being able to trust God at his word, fearing men, finding other reasons or other ways around obeying God. Listen, the, the life of a believer has its difficulties, but the life of a believer is to be a life of faith and trust in our Lord, faith and trust in his word, hearing his word and doing it. Lord Jesus said that there is a, a cost of discipleship. That if we are putting conditions on our faith and on our life and service to, to Christ, it's not one where obedience is flowing from faith, but obedience is the condition. Listen to these words of Jesus in Luke 9. When he's dealing with those who place conditions on following him. Someone said to him, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus knew his heart did not mean wherever you go. But as long as it's not a problem. Because his response says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me. It's going to be costly. Another said, he said to another, follow me. And, and this one said, yes, I will follow you. But first, let me go and bury my father. And he was saying, yeah, I'll follow you just as soon as things are in order in my life. And I won't lose certain things that are important to me. And then another said, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. And again, it's another one that, that is saying, Lord, I have conditions on how I'm going to follow you. My friends, when we try to bargain with God concerning faith, our obedience to him is not, follow, is not following sincere faith but a conditional faith and there's a danger to this because you look here at Barak and the weakness of his faith by asking Deborah to be the one who comes along and who bears a presence of God's authority Barak was showing more confidence in her than in the Lord and that lack of trust it precluded Barak from 
having a glory of victory. Really, in his time, it's more impactive in his time than it would be for us. But he suffered the indignity where the task that he was supposed to fulfill was accomplished by a woman. You wonder, okay, pastor, how does that apply to us today? Well, I think it applies in this way where we exercise conditional faith. And it's even worse than what we would call faith as small as a mustard seed. These these words of Jesus meet us. The Lord did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. It's not that we limit the power of God, but our faith just doesn't seek it as it should. And there's Barak showing us how weak faith actually changes the scene. And last, what we see here in the third person is Jael who becomes the hand of God in destroying the enemy of Israel. And and here, this, this is what is marvelous when you read the account of Jael being used of God to kill Sisera, is that you see the hand of the Lord acting very graciously and being true to his will of delivering Israel from her own sinfulness. Remember, Israel is under Jabin's rule because of their sin. And and delivering them from the rule of Jabin, the king of Canaan, God is really, again, delivering them from the bondage of sin that they had given themselves over to. And he's being gracious to that. It is his will to free his people from their sins. There's a lot of providence at work here that that we have to see beyond just the words. What is it that, that subdues the armies of Sisera and those chariots of iron that everyone was so afraid of? Well, you you read it in the Song of Deborah. Verse 4, when you marched out from the field of Eden, the earth trembled, the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water, the mountains gushed before the Lord. And you go over to verses 20 and 21, and again, when it talks about the kings of Canaan fighting, they fought, they were fighting against the heavens, the stars and their courses fought against Sisera, the torrent of Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on in strength. It gives us an understanding that, that Jabin's army had put their confidence in their might and power and strength of their chariots against a meager company of 10,000 men. But a thunderstorm, a rainstorm had come and rendered that area around the Kishon River useless for chariots. And then there's the providential pitching of 
Haber's tents near the battlefield. Verse 11, you get that little introduction of Heber the Kenite and the children of Hobab, father-in-law of Moses. And this particular uh, group and household separated themselves from the Kenites who were loyal to Israel. And he became loyal to Jabin and Sisera. Only Jael was in his company. He, she was the wife of Heber. And for some reason, providentially, God had ordered the time where this tent would be pitched near the battlefield and Sisera would be fleeing away on foot and trying to find a refuge in the tent of Heber. God, God's hand at work here in many marvelous ways where he is able with 10,000 men against a much larger force to bring to nothing the nations of this world. And here using Jael as a servant to bring about the death of the general of this army. You know, when you read of what Jael does, and there's a lot of commentary on this that uh, believes that we shouldn't be acknowledging Jael as as a servant of the Lord because of the gruesome way in which she killed this general. But you read Judges 5 and you get to verse 24. Tell me in your own minds, where does this sound? If I didn't use her name, most blessed among women is Jael. Blessed is she among women. Isn't there an echo of Mary there? Where God is upholding this one who was one of her one of his children. And, and through jail, God again is showing to his people. He does not need the mighty weapons of warfare. He is able to work in a way that shows the demonstration of his power, his glory, and his hand to save and deliver his people from from evil. And by putting on this display before Barak and before the tribes of Israel, what God is saying, all I am looking for from you is, is faith in me. And a faith that loves to follow and do my will. A faith that delights in my law. A faith that looks to me in my might and power. And I will deliver you from your enemies. I will keep you from evil. See what I have done. (laughs) See what I have done to bring you back into communion and fellowship with me. See how I have worked to show my love to you and for you. (laughs) Do you believe me? Do you trust me? You know, that's the message that meets us when we look at this particular chapter. We consider the prophetess who speaks the word of God and shows the willingness of God to deliver us from our sinfulness. 
Do you believe in the Lord whom she represents? Do you trust in the power of God to save and deliver you? Do you repent? Do you look to him for life? Or do you wallow in the desperate nature of sin? Friends, this message is is needed for the church today. It's needed for each one of us that we do not take sin lightly and that when it begins to gain that foothold into our lives that we are quick and vigilant to pray and to seek the Lord and to look to his power and his might to save and deliver us. Does that describe your life? Let us pray.